This is Coda Radio, episode 296 for February 12, 2018. everyone and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development that is related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, thanks for asking, and joining us every single week is the man that really matters, who fought traffic, got through checkpoints, why yes, it's our host, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike. Remember, kids, deny, deny, deny. And don't talk to the cops, right? That's right. Tell them in accordance with the Fourth and Fifth Amendments of the United States Constitution, arrest me or release me. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Uh, also, send your legal fees to uh, Michael at Jupiter Broadcast. No. <laughs> no, 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 Alan at Jupiter Broadcast. Yeah, all right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> well, Mike, it's good to be gathered together again with you today. Um, I'm back. I made it. I survived. I don't know if you, if you knew... But in a weird way, it's sort of perfect that you're there in Florida and I'm here in the Pacific Northwest because I survived Microsoft. I went down to Microsoft and I, subs- I survived. But to nose with the mothership and you made it. The Borg Cube, if you will. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it was actually uh, one of the adjunct cubes because um, they're rebuilding a whole bunch of stuff on the Redmond campus. So I went to a new Microsoft campus, which I had never been to before. I'll tell you more about that as the show comes on, goes on. But it was very swanky. I can't wait to actually tell you about that. But we do have a bunch of uh, feedback to get into this week. There is some hoopla and uh, there was a recent sort of A-B study, if you could call it that. I'll tell you more about that around Kotlin. And it got my, it got my attention. I wanted to include it in the show this week. And then Apple is um, all done with features forever. It's Snow Leopard for all of the things. Did you see this? Snow Leopard for all you know the what? things. Don't tease me like that. Oh, I'm serious. I'm serious. Don't tease me with the leopard. You've of been snow. you have been busy stuck in traffic, my friend. So you have not seen uh, the big news this morning. The snow Leopard for life. Because yep, that's my thing. It's, I just want to say that it no, it's snow Snow Leopard for life. It is. It, well, you're I'm excited to hear about it. Yeah. So we're gonna get there. We're gonna get everywhere. We're gonna get all over the place. But uh, before we go any further into the show, Mr. Dominic, uh, why don't we start with a little bit of the audience feedback? Because we got so many other things to cover we got so many other things why don't we start with the feedback the classics the hits if you will here on the program and uh our first one comes in from wilmer and it was he's 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 resigned himself to the fact that you've already sent back the dell so don't worry about that uh but uh he says uh i just wanted to let you know what may have happened so you understand the card that you had was made from an old cgn1 architecture which was still experimental in some of the linux graphic stacks and so that was was causing some of your issues. If it was a NVIDIA card or a newer AMD card, you probably or an Intel card, I will add, you probably wouldn't have had any issues, he says. In terms of what Chris says about Linux users pushing AMD graphics as it just works, this is true, but it should have the caveat that it's mainly applying to newer GCN3, which is the architecture, uh, and the also version four of the architectures and less about the older two and one architectures, which Mike was using. I've experienced dealing with both GCN one and GCN four 
and uh, the difference is night and day. The uh, uh, older version, like Mike had, required setting a kernel flag to turn support on, and you had to blacklist blacklist certain kernel modules. It was not plug and play, like the newer ones, like the Generation Four are. Keep up the great work. Can't wait to see what ha- what Episode Three Hundred has in store. Oh shit! People have an expectation for Episode Three Hundred. Well. <laughs> We should I probably, we, you know, Mike and I, <laughs> I, Mike and I, twenty episodes episodes ago, started talking about what we could do to, but really, what we could come up with is mostly we could just keep doing the show. <laughs> so, uh, not to uh, not to underplay our plans or anything, but uh, we don't really have uh, anything massive planned for episode three hundred. I think mostly what you'll probably see is maybe we'll pull a rabbit out of the hat, but for right now, I think we just plan to keep on trucking for episode three hundred. Yeah, I think it's just keep on rolling, right? That's that's what you get. So uh, Joe writes in and he says, and man, Joe did a great thing here, Mike. He gave us like the uh, short version and then he gave us all of the background, which I could read off air. Uh, And long story short, Joe sells services to medical institutions, IT services, of course. And uh, he sees a huge shift coming to the industry and he's trying to get to where the puck's going. And he's got a question for you. I want to request a discussion or explanation of what progressive web apps are. And how they are the same slash or and different than Electron and perhaps a prediction of where that stuff is headed. Reading the tea leaves seems to be a common theme for the show, if I'm intuiting that correctly. Well, he is right about that part. We do try to figure out where things are going. So he has a situation where he's got to revamp a whole bunch of custom apps uh, for customers to interface with. And they are thinking about building progressive web apps, but he doesn't really understand the difference between building a progressive web app and going with an Electron app. Um, And he also talks about some of the crazy things that are going on behind the scenes that don't get discussion, that don't get coverage, that are making IT services for medical businesses even harder and harder. But what do you think about this conversation around a progressive web app versus an Electron app, all that kind of stuff? Yes, what well, its most basic level, uh, the difference would be there between an electron app and a progressive web app. It's an electron app would be installed on the user system, and a progressive web app is a super fancy way to say browser app. Yeah, right. It's it's an app running in their browser in Chrome or WebKit or whatever Firefox. I don't really care. Um, the uh, so. I would say it's more of a philosophical difference than a technical difference, right? Hmm. The I, the philosophy behind, uh, behind a progressive web app is you have one application that runs on the web browser from the cloud that can uh, dynamically respond to different capabilities and interfaces based on the device. Now, that's all a fancy way to say that it has different um, functions if you're on a mobile device or a desktop and the UI is different, right? That's yeah. all that really means. Yeah, and there's certain assumptions you can take if you're building an Electron app that you might not take when you're building a web application. Right. For instance, an Electron app, you know that you're on a desktop. Yep, exactly. You know you got a power cord, likely. There, <laughs> there's also the, the big difference of on an Electron app, the user has to install it, where a PWA, they, they theoretically don't, right? They could just run it in Chrome. Or, you know, insert your browser of choice here. Um, you know, I, though, you know, though, Mike, I mean, if you had only one rock to put in your slingshot 
and you're aiming at two birds, wouldn't you probably go for the progressive web app and just say no thanks to Electron? Because you're, well, then you're hitting uh, yeah. so many more devices. I mean, you and I have been predicting this for years, right? The HTML5 and JavaScript are going to win. Um, and I think it's true. We're all going to bend the knee to the progressive web app. It may <laughs> be called something different in the future. Yeah. Right, Something's, like you yeah. can have a different name. Yeah. PWA, I, I don't like the name Progressive Web App or PWA. I think it's kind of, it's very HubSpot marketing-y to me. It's brought to us by the letter bullshit. Um, <laughs> what, is that too much? No, I love it. You're going to cut that out No, later. I, No, uh, never. Uh, the reality of the situation is I've been writing Progressive Web Apps for 10 years. I called them Cordova Apps. But yeah, apparently yeah. I can't say the word Cordova anymore without no, people no. getting upset. I have to call them <laughs> PWAs now. You know what a PWA is, right? <laughs> uh, good, please. Yeah, I mean, a prisoner of war is what I think of when I hear right. it. <laughs> so, well, and it's just the, kind the of funny these two things is, are getting linked together. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, you and I had been predicting this for years, right, Chris, that you know the market would trend towards whatever is cheapest for the financial stakeholders and nothing's cheaper than html and javascript running yes, on every right, platform yep. with like 80% shared code so are you going to you know to so the writer are you going to be able to resist this no is it going to happen tomorrow no right so you have time but you know 10 years from now i think pwas i think that's a name that's not going to exist it's going to subfragment into different platforms but in reality, everything is going to be uh, HTML and JavaScript based. There's native apps are uh, living on borrowed time, right? Which is why Mike bought the MacBook. I mean, the iMac Pro, right? I did not buy uh, that, but that was a sweet try. That was really good. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, Josh writes in with our next feedback, JupiterBroadcasting.com/slash/contact, and he says. Um, Given your love for all things containers these days, what are you using for management slash orchestration platforms, if anything? Disclaimer, I do work for Red Hat, and I've kind of fallen in love with the whole OpenShift origin story. But uh, I'd be curious. Also, just a little uh, side pieskies um, to Mr. Dominic there. Where would you or one, perhaps like myself, be able to find a demo, live video, or etc. of Alice to show off to people in charge of money? That's a good question. So do you want to start with that? Where can people go? Do you have anything like that to show off demos of Alice's capabilities? And any? Ooh, ooh you're putting me on the spot. Alice is uh, dramatically changing right now. She's oh, okay. going through adolescence. She's I like that. Come out. It happens. It happens. Uh, she's changing, and the demos are all gone. I feel like we need a – I feel like, though, the only thing is that should be uh, like a Coda Radio episode. But, I mean, other than that, it all right. It will be in about three months. Oh, that, I can't handle that. That is – by, by uh, three t- months, t- you mean yeah, three I, days? I know. <laughs> but listen, rewriting something in Kotlin takes time. Oh, oh whoa, whoa. Geez, I said too much already. Hey, don't. Don't jump ahead. We're getting to Kotlin. Now, so given um, your love of all things containers, have you tried throwing anything at it to just manage uh, – uh, containers well, I just want to say I love the loyalty to Red Hat there with the OpenShift reference. That's yeah bonus points for that. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, actually, I'm a heathen and I'm doing it all by proprietary. Uh, I say proprietary, but they're just mine. Uh, Ruby scripts. I mean, I, there's an, yeah. I'm not using anything. I don't have. I'm not at the I, point yeah. where myself either, where I have like a dozen. I mean, I maybe have three or four different containers actually doing anything that matter at any given time. So it just doesn't require a lot. 
But Josh, I, if you work for Red Hat, I recommend you check out uh, the Fedora project. They have um, this great thing called Cockpit, and uh, you can use that to spin up containers like a boost on the Fedora platform. Now, Josh, I know you're probably not familiar with this, but Cockpit is a revolutionary new UI to manage many aspects of your Linux box, including containers. And uh, Cockpit project can be found at cockpit project.org and um, I don't know if it's actually even Fedora specific but it's so easy to get up and running on Fedora it supports multiple servers um, it's great and it's the one thing I have used from time to time um, and it's from this company called uh, let's see here Red Hat. So, uh, Josh, you may, you may, you may, you may, you may, you may, I've heard of it before. But I, I have used that a little bit. But we just covered Kubernetes and we've been talking about this stuff on the TechSnap program a lot. Yeah. Wes, Wes, yeah. like, eats, Wes breathes, is the Lord of drinks. Kubernetes. Yeah, he's all about this stuff. So, check and, out TechSnap.Systems. I should. Oh, sorry, Chris. Well, I was just going to say, check out TechSnap.Systems for that. Tech, check out TechSnap. But I should also add, and first of all, as long as you send your hate mail to Alan at JupiterBroadcasting.com, I don't really care what you do. Nash. So please do check out TechSnap. He's not involved with it anymore. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm glad I brought the bell this week. Why do I hate him? Because I couldn't afford his hosting. Uh, <laughs> no, but all kidding aside, I am actually going to the O'Reilly Conference, and I am going to be talking to some of the leaders of the – they call it Kate. I call it Kubernetes because you know I'm not that hip. But yeah, I, 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 I will – to answer your question, no, I'm not using anything, but I, I would probably be looking at Kubernetes myself if I ever got to that scale. Yeah. Uh, I, when, it, when are you going to that thing? Is it in two weeks? Is that what it is? You know what? I have no idea. I know. Life I mean, is hard and know, dates I, are harder. I feel like my life is a cry for help in a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I am. I don't I know. know when I'm going. I know. I just realized I'm going to California yeah. in like a couple of weeks and I just – I have no I, plans for that. Like – I straight up thought that we had to reschedule next week's show. It turns out, no, I'm going to be in Florida. The following week, I'm in New York, and I'm going to be physically at the O'Reilly Conference. Okay. So we'll have to, yeah. 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 Boy. So it's two weeks from now, listeners, if you're listening actually in real time. And this is the week where yeah. we have too much content, you know? Like if we could have – way too much content. Chris Chris just went off piece. That's, he went, that's what you know I get. What? It's like every spy movie written yeah. by Tom Clancy. That's what I get. He just went crazy. You got to blame Jeffrey and Joey at Microsoft. I'll get more into it, but that's what I get. Uh, so anyways, why don't we – sexy. Yeah. <laughs> why don't we keep moving? Uh, we have – we got to talk about Kotlin, but first – Really, we've got to talk. We got to talk about Linux Academy. We got to toboggan talk about Linux Academy. It's an advanced training platform. It's it's a way to it's a way to change up and maybe upgrade your game, maybe improve your game around everything Linux. I'm talking like the nitty gritty, basic details about Linux, but also all of the big platforms these days that help your resume and are becoming more and more a part of how we do everyday business. I'm talking, of course, about AWS and Azure and like Josh was talking recently about the OpenStack platform. Linux Academy is a way to – and Azure actually. Uh, LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. That's where you go to support the show and get a seven-day free trial. Try out their self-paced in-depth video courses on every freaking Linux cloud and DevOps topic. And they have hands-on scenario-based labs that give you experience on their real servers. And when life gets busy, they got a course scheduler that can work with you. You go in there, you specify how many hours you have available for training each day of the week. Then they will create a training schedule to fit your availability. And if you want, 
They'll send you emails to remind you to study and what you need to accomplish that week to stay on track. How nice is that? So even when life gets busy, you can still meet your goals. They also have single courses you can deep dive into, a community stack full of Jupiter Broadcasting members that will keep you going, and much, much more. If you're ready just to get certifications, they've got training engineered specifically for that. You can try out little quizzes along the way to kind of prep you for the big test. And, of course, they have courseware created specifically to prepare you for the exams. linuxacademy.com slash coders. Go there, learn more, sign up, support the show, and get a free seven-day trial. linuxacademy.com slash coders. linuxacademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring this here Coder Radio program, linuxacademy.com slash coders. So there was an individual, he blogs, um, well, like everyone does these days, to an obnoxious degree over at Medium. His name's Dan Russo, and uh, he's been living and breathing Java for ages. And he wanted to do a little experiment in picking up Kotlin and seeing if there was really any noticeable improvement in his workflow and the team's workflow. So he kept track of everything, lines of code used, performance, every just every metric that they could possibly track. And uh, he wanted to see what would happen when they sort of rebased around Kotlin. And there's some interesting things to read if you're kind of new to Kotlin or kind of just getting interested in Kotlin. I would recommend that you go read this Medium post. But I guess starting from the very basic, if you're not familiar, one of the great things that people are loving about Kotlin is that it compiles to Java bytecode and runs on the JVM. So it's suitable for all environments where Java is used, which includes Android um, as well as back-end applications that will be running on Java, also um, JavaScript, WebAssembly. There's lots, of, there's lots of ways you can use Kotlin. So that's got it way up there in everybody's interest. It comes from the smart folks over at JetBrains as well, which also gives it another notch of credibility. But uh, this blogger, Mr. Russo, blogs that converting a Java application to Kotlin – is expected to reduce the line count by 40%. But that's according to JetBrains. So he wanted to see, would that matter? Um, does Is that actually something that's even noticeable? Because isn't it just really jamming more onto each line? So he, he, he wanted to see if that would actually make a difference. But he noted with their team, um, the total amount of code that, gets, that you have to actually have to review is reduced by 50% overall when leveraging capabilities of Kotlin. And part of that is because more code is on each line, but really it's because the Kotlin standard library enhances enhances existing Java classes with extensions that trivialize common things. And there's a couple of examples in this post, which I'll get to in a moment, but um, Kotlin actually enables higher level of code reuse, he also notes, that are completely impossible in Java, even when using Java 8 features. Kotlin allows you to extract more reusable patterns than Java allows. So here's an example that's not even possible in Java. Kotlin allows you to use the return statement inside an inline lambdas so that it returns the same way it would return from something like a loop. In Java, returning from a lambda is misleading, as it doesn't actually return from the current function that you're in. So he talks a lot in here about high-level ways you can view Kotlin code. He says the code is actually even easier to understand compared to Java code with the same behavior. This is because Java code needs to be read and then mentally verified, whereas Kotlin 
trivializes many concepts. Therefore, converting a Java application to Kotlin and taking advantage of Kotlin features has reduced our code size by 50%. The code is also much easier to understand because the extra Kotlin capabilities allow you to think using higher-level concepts. Realizing that the creation part of our time is also reduced, it's easy to see how Kotlin could double productivity from these impacts alone. And then he concludes with this. I was honestly shocked at my productivity after becoming familiar with the languages as I didn't expect it to really have any measurable impact. I was mostly just thinking about reduced defect rates. It was only after completing a large task in Kotlin that I realized my career outlook would be forever changed. How about that? Yeah, that's... um... I have a lot to say about Colin. Oh, yeah, really? Let me me simplify it. It, You know, I have missed Java. (laughs) In fact, I just linked in the the, uh, Discord chat a tweet someone sent me that perfectly sums up my feelings. If, If I can, if I can read it to you. Quote, after many years of doing battle in the land of Node, Sharp, and Swift, the weary developer steps off the boat to his homeland of the JVM. Mm. And Kotlin has everything I want in the JVM with being as quick and fast as, you know, any of your, dare I say, Rust. It's mostly me trolling. You bastard. New hot languages. Um, I have been doing a lot of not-so-secret work in Kotlin at this point, and Kotlin is... Basically, the language I've been dreaming for. Get out of here. I mean, I could use more square brackets, but that's just, you know, whatever. Get the hell out of here. Really? Yeah. I mean, Kotlin has has proven to be... It's proven to be the answer to the question I didn't know that I was asking. And I know that's a dumb thing and kind of like a weird hippie thing to say, but... It's familiar enough, you know, the tooling is good because obviously it's written by JetBrains and the IntelliJ tooling is great. Um, it, it blends the, the concepts of newer programming language with the familiarity of the JVM that, you know, within a day of working in it, I found myself to be extremely productive. I mean, it's, it's really been great. And Really? I can't imagine, you know, given the choice between Java and Kotlin, not starting a new project in Kotlin, only because I can just use Java where it's necessary, right? Or where I already have a library written in Java or some class or whatever that I want to bring in, I can bring it in directly. Uh, yeah. And the, you know, as uh, Bruno in the chat is saying, the learning curve is, you know, I, I did not study Kotlin before I started seriously working. I mean, I did some demos and whatever few months ago for the show but like i didn't like read a book on kotlin i just file new project in intellij and sure enough i was productive within the first day like it's i i have found it more productive than c sharp now i want to i am just gonna walk that back a little i am of course by training a java developer but if you know Java, if you know the Apache, uh, you know the org.apache, everybody who does Java will know what I'm talking about. Classes that you can import. 
they're all you can bring everything you know right into Kotlin. And Kotlin is like Java without all the extra show your work sort mm. of bit. It's fast in terms of development. It's uh, one of the things that's exciting to me is the compile to native code for uh, IoT yes. devices yeah. and possibly for iOS. Yep. Though I'm not super interested in that right now. Well, give it time, though. I could see that. Right, give it time. That's what I'm saying. I I, I think that um, you know I. I don't get me wrong. I wanted Objective C to conquer the world. Yeah, you did. <laughs> you know that I did. <laughs> but if I had to take a close second, I think Kotlin might be that. Huh. Yeah, I got to admit, I've been reading up on it this last week. That's why I had tossed that story in the dock. Um, because it's slowly seeping into my consciousness that there is something happening here. It's really, really like if, if, if you were asking somebody who doesn't really have any skin in the game, where to start, this is super enticing stuff. Um, and you can see why Google would be pretty interested in greasing the wheels. Right. But, but also like, you know, I wouldn't overlook, forget the, you know, new developers are important, but yeah, screw those guys. Right. I mean, really, I hate them. Um, you know, they're, they're always screwing me on contract bids and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, what about us old dogs who remember Java applets and, like, know the Java libraries, right? And Kotlin is just on – I mean, this is a simplification, but on some level, it's a really nice interface into those old Java libraries. Business? Meaning if, if you're used to working in the JVM Java platform, Kotlin is an awesome way to do that. So it actually pays you back. Like you, you remember, Chris? I'm sure. I'm sure you haven't forgotten this. Uh, my less than enthusiastic embrace of Swift the day they announced it when we were doing a live show. I try to spend a few moments every day thinking of it. <laughs> I'm sure that you do. Um, well, Kotlin, unlike Swift, doesn't punish you for knowing the old language, right? It, in fact, it embraces the fact that you know know the old language. Yeah, yeah. Actually, IntelliJ, if you write something in Java syntax, will automatically change it to Kotlin for you if you're writing in a Kotlin file. So it, you know, it is not kicking the the old boys in the balls and saying, "Learn Swift." I, I mean, I'm not. I mean, not, you know, uh, all right, I'm a little mad at Apple, let's be honest. But it's, um, yeah, it, it's embracing the the legacy, uh, you know, I would say the legacy assets, right? Because the, the, there are significant assets in, in JARs and other Java libraries. Absolutely. That yeah. Um, yep. Where I think Swift, I mean, I, I hate comparing Kotlin to Swift because technically they're very different, but the, but that's what people do, right? Like The Verge and all those places compare it. Swift is, is only in the most, like, trivial way supporting the old Objective-C developers. Um, you know, renaming the syntax of the method calls to not be the... Uh, the language, uh, for lack of a better alchemy, right? The way that, like, you know, uh, string from string, you know, how Swift would say it, or Objective-C would say it in Swift, is saying that Objective-C is to be replaced by Swift. Where Kotlin is is very respective of the Java developers of old. And uh, I say of old, I mean, like, 1998, right? <laughs> like, not that old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I like Kotlin, I don't like Swift. Can I make that simpler? 
get it out of here. I like it. And um, I think I really like your point that it's sort of it's sort of new, but embracing instead of punishing the old. Now, That's uh, why? Well, let's uh, <clears throat> while we're talking about Apple. So, yeah, Snow Leopard all day, every day. Uh, this is from uh, your good buddy Mark uh, Gurman, who uh, seems to—I don't know who. Maybe he, maybe he's got a bug in Craig Federici's hairdo. I'm not sure how he gets this information. He's had less of a of an accurate track record since he moved to Bloomberg, and they sort of dumbed down his reporting. But he still seems to nail it, and he seems to definitely nail it when it comes to software. And here's what he says, Mike: He says that Apple is going to disappoint everyone except Mike Dominic uh, at WWDC. So um, <clears throat> they're going to – Your lips to Allah's ears, my brother. So there's uh, there's two things. There's three things in here and I don't, I don't want to get distracted by one of them because one of them has huge ramifications. Uh, but essentially what it comes down to is no redesigned home screen, no updates really for the iPad, nothing really happening with CarPlay. The revamped uh, Photos app is getting put in the parking lot because – all that's getting delayed after Apple has concluded that they need to slow the F down on their product releases for software, I should say, and uh, work on more of a TikTok schedule. So one year is spent refining, another year is spent push- pushing forward or something closer to that. Uh, Craig Federici has laid out the new strategy to his army of engineers last month. Apple will start focusing on the next two years of updates for its iPhone and iPad operating system, according to people familiar with the matter. But there is one big feature they're going to roll out as part of this. The change that will cause the biggest stir is the third-party application supposedly – this is the second time that German has reported this. In the next version of macOS 10.14 and the next version of iOS that they pre-announced at WWDC, developers will be able to write a single application. His exact phrasing is – Apple will make it possible for a single third-party app to run on iPhones, iPads, and Mac computers. Mac OS 10.14, internally known as Liberty, will involve bringing iPhone apps, including the Home app, to the Mac. So they're going to focus on stability on iOS, and for the Mac bringing iOS apps over to the Mac. And they say that consumers will have to wait until 2019 for significant improvements to iPad software and many of the other things that people have been waiting for while they work on stability and feature creep in iOS 12 and macOS 10.14. What do you think? Do you think that's possible? Do you think Apple's going to slow down, stop trying to compete with Android for a couple of years, and try to make iPhone apps work on the freaking Mac? Or maybe iPad apps? Yeah, so so there's been a lot of rumors about this uh, cross-Mac OS and iOS platform uh, toolkit that Apple's supposed to be coming out with, kind of like... Uh, Chameleon, which is an open source project. I don't know if that's this. Um, I mean, anytime you tell me. Oh, I lost your audio feed there. Anytime I tell you what? Come back. Oop. There you go. I I'm back. Again. See, they're muting me. They are a, trying they to are silence interfer- you. Yeah. Silence my snow leopard love. I mean, 
Anytime you tell me that I'm getting a Snow Leopard-like release of Mac OS, I'm deeply excited. Anytime you tell me that Mac OS is going to get more iOS uh, interoperability, I'm horrified. Yeah, I feel like we don't have to spend too much on it because it's all rumors, right? But it's an interesting it's idea. All bullshit. I would yeah. like to see I mean, a focus on st- software stability for a while. I think that's just the old man perspective I had on this, you know, sitting on my porch. Just get your you know, software I, better. I, I, I'm, I'm tired of caring about this in a weird way, right? Like yeah. I, I'm tired of worrying about what I'm working in when the, the really interesting thing is what am I writing? Right. What are the tools that I'm using? You know, whether I'm right, whether I'm launching IntelliJ in GNOME or Aqua is kind of irrelevant, in my opinion. Um, I I don't know. I mean, I, I yes. I mean, if you if your question is, would I be happy if they kind of leaned in and made a Snow Leopard like release of macOS that was you know, very focused on the uh, just, BSD underpinnings. You know, just coming I from that be... uh, iMac Pro perspective. Well, yeah. So <laughs> you're not biting you're at all, you bastard. Me. You bastard. You're trying to do this, right? You know, you're this is what happens bait. when I don't get you liquored up before a show. Is I can't, I can't bait you. You come in sober and uh, you hold your ground. <laughs> Sadly, I'm sober and I'm yeah. not buying an iMac Pro. <laughs> um, but I will say, right, that I'm not buying anything until June. Right. Like, yeah, good call. Good for you. If you can make it that long, I'll be impressed. I know. It's shocking, isn't it? <laughs> I'll be really – I honestly will. <laughs> and uh, I can't promise that if they don't come out with a Mac Pro or a Mac Mini that suits me, I won't, like, buy a System76 Leopard or an iMac Pro. No, I can't promise that, right? Yeah. Um, well, my friend, as long as you switch to the Plasma desktop, I'll be satisfied, really. Now, I, yeah, I don't, I don't get that at all, man. Mr. Anti-KDE for years wow. is all of a sudden I'm not anti. rolling with no. the Plasma. No, like, yeah. no, come on. That's crazy. That's crazy. Well, I thought Listen, maybe... all we want is, is iOS apps on Mac, right? That's, uh, <laughs> I'm thought, sad now. I just thought I'd give it a go, and I fell in love. I can't help See, it. See, this is the problem, right? Because I could easily slip into my Mac, you know, my Mac pajamas here. <laughs> I just say, you know what? I work on Mac. It doesn't matter what I work on. But then they do shit like this where they're like i'm not gonna make it more like ios and i'm like no yeah don't that, do that that's a tight line well like, we'll see where they go we'll see where they go they could ruin everything or first to be honest with you yeah the thing is is like the little the little bit of uh, ios apps they've ported over the mac like photos are real balls but i thought maybe we'd end the hoopla on a practical point something people could take to the bank um there is a tutorial that i'm going to link in the show notes that will walk you through backing up your git repository to DigitalOcean spaces um and actually uh because DigitalOcean spaces is just it just works with all the s3 compatible api apps so this kind of works for anything that supports s3's api so like s3 cmd is really the workhorse here and uh they released this the day after christmas so I, I have a feeling it missed a lot of people's radars. And this is pretty sweet because everything you need is just a couple of commands away and you can start backing up your repo to S3 or to DigitalOcean. And um, it's just kind of nice to have that peace of mind, isn't it? Especially especially when it's something that's pretty important. Uh, and the, and like with DigitalOcean Spaces, it, the pricing is so is so cheap that it's kind of it's kind of worth it in my in my opinion. So I link this specifically because while this is written with the perspective of using Spaces, it would really work with anything that supports the S3 API, including Amazon's S3 itself. And uh, then you can start backing up 
your Git repo to a 1604 server on DO or to, to any S3 compatible system. And I think that's probably worth just a, a quick read through because they really format this stuff super nice. And uh, it also is it's a good introduction to the S3 command line tools, which are very, very useful for a lot of different things. So check that out. I'll have that linked in the show notes. And it's very helpful. You can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com and look for Coda Radio 296 for those. But I suppose, before we go any further, I will mention DigitalOcean, sort of segue into that, digitalocean.com. You can go create your account if you haven't done this yet. Actually, it's a great idea. Use the, I <clears throat> did not honestly plan this. We just have, I just, this is sort of how it works. Uh, because we, we integrate DigitalOcean in both Mike and I into our daily workflows. This is just honestly how it goes. You come up with something great, like I want to back up my GitHub repo. And then you combine it with our promo code, Coder Digital. Well, you get a $10 credit after you created your account and you apply that to your DigitalOcean account. You get a $10 credit. You could, you could probably back up your GitHub repo two months for free to their $5 droplet. That's pretty nice. DigitalOcean.com. It's designed for developers. They have an easy-to-use control panel and an API that lets you do way more things than you would think possible. I think their, their really nice control panel must be an API client because it's one-for-one one feature matched, which means there's a ton of really nice open-source applications already written in libraries and, and plugins for different things that you can just take advantage of right now or you can build your own. DigitalOcean.com. Spin up a server in less than 55 seconds. And they have all kinds of really nice nice competitive plans now. Have you seen some of this stuff? They're flexible droplets. It's a new plan. For $15 a month, you can mix and match resources that are just most appropriate for your app. How cool is that? And they also have CPU-optimized droplets, which are monsters in performance. And they also have high memory systems. And then they have the standard droplets, which have just gotten even better. They're super competitive price-wise in the market. And my favorite system now, three cents an hour, is nuts. 4 gigs of RAM, 80 gigs of SSD, everything's SSD. And then they have one-click deployments of entire applications, or you can just deploy the base system. If you want to just try backing up your GitHub repo, it's not going to take you long. You want to do a, just one-click deployment of an entire GitLab instance, they got that too. DigitalOcean.com. Go over there, use our promo code CODERDIGITAL, or... Just get it all pre-programmed in at do.co slash coder, do.co slash coder. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder radio program, digitalocean.com, do.co slash coder. A couple of weeks ago, I think it, <clears throat> it was like three weeks ago on the show, we were talking about Microsoft open sourcing PowerShell, PowerShell Core. And it was sort of on the uh, heels of Mike and I trying out Windows 10 for a little bit. So it was sort of perfect timing just for where our heads were at. And um, I don't know. There's something about Microsoft recently that I just am still having a hard time grokking. I understood when they, when they open sourced .NET Core, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, that, that, that seems to make sense. And then when they open sourced Visual Studio Code, I was like, oh, man, that is super competitive. That makes sense. But when they open sourced PowerShell Core, I, I really couldn't grok the understanding. And I, I, I didn't know what to make of it. And so we had our theories here on the program. And uh, some folks down at Microsoft happened to catch the show. And they called us up and they sent me an email actually. And they said, hey, why don't you come down here and chat with us and we'll tell you about what we're doing with PowerShell and what our whole approach is towards developers. 
So I looked at this email and I said, Mike, should I go down there? Should I go down to Microsoft and should I talk to these folks about PowerShell and what they're doing? And Mike said, yeah, of course. Let's go get it from the horse's mouth. So I went down there and I talked with Jeffrey. Yeah, I'm Jeffrey Snover. I'm a technical fellow at Microsoft. And Jeffrey was probably maybe the perfect person to talk to. He's been at Microsoft for a long time. 18 years. And he's seen a lot of transformations. So I went down to their Bellevue campus for the first time ever. I'd never been to their Bellevue campus. And this is like walking into some sort of some sort of amazing uh, Greek palace. I, I can't describe in other ways. There's uh, Louis Vuitton and Gucci and all of these incredibly expensive brands. And there's fountains and statues. And it's all marble and cement. And it's just beautiful. And it's a temporary campus where they're at right now because they're rebuilding some things in Redmond. And I went up to the third floor and I, I met with Jeffrey and Joey and they let me ask any question I want. So it's not a master scheme to convince all devel developers to drop Ubuntu and use Windows? Seems like it'd be a good master scheme. <laughs> Maybe that's just the long-term plan. <laughs> no, we're not that clever. <laughs> Nothing was off the record. Uh, but I was there to figure out what the hell's going on with PowerShell. Is this some master plan? Is the what? What is the new Microsoft um, motivation? And I thought maybe we should start with the origins of PowerShell so I could wrap my head around it. So the heart of the difference between um, the Linux world and PowerShell is that the Linux world and, – and by the way, I wrote something called the Monad Manifesto. It was absolutely uh, unambiguous that I'm saying I'm going to take the Linux automation model and I'm going to apply it. And by, by, by the way, the story was – I actually took the Linux tools and brought them to Windows, and then they never worked. Like, we never wanted to invent PowerShell. That was not the plan. The plan was, I just need to have automation, then I'm going to solve higher order problems. But we took the Linux tools, and we brought them to Windows, and nothing worked. And why? And that's because Linux is self-organized around ASCII text files. So anything you can do to manage Linux, you edit an ASCII text file and you restart process, you can manage most everything. So when you pipeline things, A, pipe to B, pipe to C, you're pipelining text. Well, and that's why awk, grep, said, these are management tools. But on Windows, awk, it, we're not organized around ASCII text files. We were organized around APIs. And so awk didn't work against the registry. Said doesn't work against WMI. Grep doesn't work against Active Directory. So what we did was we said, well, we're going to take the gestalt, the kind of core concept, and we're going to re reproduce it, but for an API-oriented world. And so we call APIs and we get objects back and then we pipeline objects. And it turns out that sounds hard, but it turns out to be dramatically simplifying because you get to a world where you think, you type, and you get what you want. Get the processes where the handles are greater than a 1,000, sort them by handles, form it as a table. Boom. None of this like what I call prayer-based parsing. You know exactly what I mean, right? Cut off three lines. Oh, on BSD, it's four. Why'd that guy do that? Go over 27 columns. Or is there a tab? Oh, damn. And, and you know, it's amazing that it works. I mean, it really – it does work, but it's also pretty brittle and pretty fragile. And you don't have that with objects. For Linux users, why is this interesting? Just another tool. Tool that's very good at dealing with APIs and structured objects. And here's where I like to be controversial. It's kind of fun. Say, every day, every day, Linux becomes more like Windows. It's true. I know. No, it's true. Here's what I mean. Um, every day, more and more of the Linux world is exposing uh, its manageability through APIs that return structured objects, which Windows has always done. And those 
APIs are called REST APIs and those structured objects are called JSON. And so as you do that, PowerShell is extraordinarily good. So basically, we think we're very good at where the puck is going to in the Linux world. I was I was without words when he said that every day Linux is becoming more like Windows because I couldn't counter that argument. And I was waiting for him to make like a system D joke, to be honest. Because that really is – things are getting stored now in binary formats with JSON polls. It's just – he's so right. And it's – he really he really nailed it when he said PowerShell in a sense is going to go where that puck is already heading for Linux. And uh, I, I thought, OK, all right. Now I get it. So what's the motivation for Microsoft? Because this is kind of like you know your secret sauce in a way. PowerShell could be one of Windows' unique competitive features. Why are you going to give it to Mac and Linux? Yeah, so actually the kind of Uber motivation was, you know, we got a new new um, CEO. And the new CEO came in and basically said, hey, I want you guys to get out of your offices, go talk to customers, find out what they need to be successful, and give it to them. He said, don't overthink this. You know, don't worry about the money. We, If you can make our customers successful, we have smart guys that can figure out how to monetize that. If you can't make our customers successful, that's pretty hard to monetize. So get out of your offices, go talk to people. And when we did that, what we found was, you know, of course, what's obvious now is that uh, it wasn't a Microsoft-only world. You know, there's the way the world is and the way you world you'd like it to be. We'd like it to be a pure Microsoft world where everyone's using Windows and everyone's using all of our technology, and that's just not the way the world is. And yet uh, people still have lots and lots of challenges. And so we took it our mission to say we're going to help customers be successful with whatever language, with whatever OS, with whatever environment they are using. And uh, when you start that, you pull on that thread, all of a sudden you get some interesting changes that, that start to compound. And uh, all of a sudden at the end of that, you got a brand new company. So it's really quite exciting. So it sounds like there was a bit of, uh, did you have to go back and evangelize to a degree? Well, this is the feedback we've gotten and this is what we think they want. Oh, absolutely. Let's be clear. When you make something as fundamental change as that, I mean, let's be clear. Yeah. This is a huge, huge change, right, yeah. right? And it's not like a new CEO can come in and say that once and everybody gets it. Mm-hmm. Changes of that order of magnitude take many years, and some people get it quicker than others, and other people take more time. And sometimes the people who take more time are in more senior positions. Why? Because they were exceptionally good at doing things the way we used to do. In other words, the way we're trying to change from. Mm-hmm. And so you'll see, you know, that, that these things take take time. Some of those people make the change. Some of those people lead the change. Some of those people can't make the change and are long, long good fits for the company, right? So these things take a long time. But yeah, I'll tell you this, though. Uh, the PowerShell team was on the forefront of that. I mean, we were always very community-focused. We were always very focused in on the customer. I, I remember telling my dad once that I had the best job in the world because, you know, the company was investing in PowerShell, and, and it wasn't like, I'm going to try and get money from you. It's like, you're already my customer, and I'm going to try and help you be more successful. And unlike a lot of the other Windows 
Windows technologies. We produce this great technology, but then we put it in the most recent version and only the most recent version to try and get people to move up. No, that was never the case with PowerShell. With PowerShell, we put it in the most recent version and then we backported it. So our intentions were always, we're just going to help customers succeed. And honestly, we wanted to go to Linux from the very beginning, from the very beginning. Uh, but the environment wouldn't let us. You know, kind of two flavors of the environment. One was just culturally. Mm-hmm. And the second was we had a big dependency on .NET. So I was very happy when when Sachi came in, flipped the bit there and said, hey, this is the new thing. The .NET guys were were right there. They were the first through the door. They did a great job and that opened it up for us. So I got to tell you, when I was sitting there, I kind of had the realization, Mike, that uh, – there was sort of a snow, snowball effect that was happening in Microsoft. So you had to have .NET Core for PowerShell to be re- – or PowerShell Core to be written around yes. .NET Core. You, you had to, then you had to have Visual Studio Code on Linux and Mac so that way you could debug PowerShell Core, right? Like you had to have all of these little – you had to have the team using – All these pieces of the puzzle. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was what was interesting to me is because when you're sitting on the outside, it seems like, oh, boom, Microsoft just dropped .NET. Boom, Microsoft just dropped Visual Studio Code. Boom, they just – they moved Windows over to GitHub. Like it just looks like, oh, they're they're getting more and more cozied up. But it's, it's like this unraveling of an onion in a way. Um, and so uh, I, I, I could kind of understand why Microsoft would want to like reach out to developers. But I couldn't really grok what – what they get in on the customer angle customers are they're pretty satisfied they've got windows they've got their servers they're on premises they're pretty satisfied so what is what is the demand for this in the past what was our mission and and our mission was to help people manage Windows, right? A general purpose scripting solution for Windows and if you think about that mission effectively we're done Right. You know, we did that. We nailed that. Of course, there's always a long tail. So you always continue to invest to, to address that long tail. But we sort of gain critical mass on that mission. But now when we went and talked to people, we now have a new mission. And that new mission is to help our customers manage anything from anywhere, from any client, Windows, Linux, Mac, be able to manage any server, Windows or Linux on any cloud, AWS, Google, Azure or on-premises using any hypervisor, Hyper-V or VMware, uh, any storage stack, any networking stack. And so when we rolled this out, I don't know if you saw it, but when we rolled it out, I mean, we, we were very clear about this. Our rollout partners were AWS, Google, and VMware. These are not your traditional Microsoft partners, uh, but basically uh, kind of two flavors. One is that our VMware friends uh, were early adopters of PowerShell, and uh, basically a number of times they'd come to me and say, Jeffrey, I have a problem. Oh, yeah, what's your problem? <laughs> so, well, my Windows guys love PowerShell. But my Linux guys, my Windows guys love PowerShell. My Linux guys feel like they're getting second class automation. And the problem is they are. So, you know, how can you help me with them? And the answer was, well, at the time I couldn't. So now they've made an investment in my platform, PowerShell, and now we can help their customers, whether they want to manage VMware from Windows or Linux or Macintosh, they can use all that great asset. There's a, there's a huge community asset of scripts to manage VMware. And if you were on Linux, you couldn't use that. They're launch, so. 
their launch partner, AWS. Their launch partner, AWS. That is a different Microsoft. Uh, and I, you know, I walk into this place, and um, there's no like NDA. There's no PR agent, which I've experienced all of these things many times over. It's just uh, Jeffrey's assistant because he's been there for 18 years and he's been awarded the luxury of having an assistant. Jeffrey's assistant comes out. She greets us and she asks us if we'd like anything to drink and we just walk into a room. There's never – I know you've been here, Mike. There's never any conversation about like what what is safe to talk about. What are we comfortable with? Like none of that. It's just right, a right. couple. It's just a couple of guys, uh, which was really refreshing. Yeah, uh, that's deeply unusual, right? It is deep, usually, yes. <laughs> but, you know, Microsoft is like the mini NSA in so many ways. <laughs> well, you know what's <laughs> funny? My experience, it has been. I, I, and, I don't. And in a way, in a weird people. way, right. they were like, we have to, we have to move fast. To be competitive, right. and I it, sense that, yeah. And, and, it, and what he's saying, I sense a a drive that maybe wasn't there before. Yeah, can, yeah, exactly. I can take that liberty. Yeah, yeah. and and I, it sounds like there was a bit of a clearing of the old guard to make way for the new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. That's so Joe Satya is the new CTO, right? Like almost like there's been a change up top, a legitimate that has facilitated one, facilitated a change, right? Yeah, and it actually seems like, and you know, as somebody who was maybe a little skeptical, it actually seems. Um, like it's, it's legitimately, I, I, I kind of underplayed the Sachi Nadella effect because of the Marissa Meyer effect that we had watched on the show. And it would just sort of seem like, um, these people were just figureheads, but I think, it could- yeah, you know, I, I will say if I can just jump in, um, the change in my personal experience is very real. Um, I, on a cold LinkedIn email, was was able to uh, get a meeting with them, and it was the reply was, "Yeah, come on in. We'd love to buy a cup of coffee." I mean, from even just two years ago, that that is different, right? You would just get a flat uh, mm. ignore on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and really? just like, you that, feel that like an ant, right? You would have felt you just felt like insignificant, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, Jeffrey. Um, when we were like walking down the hallway and I had the recorders off, the microphones were put away and it was just like we were just talking. He and you know, he's been there for 18 years and uh, I took uh, my lady Hadia with me because um, she is particularly good at reading people cold even without any context. She's really and, – and both of our takeaway was uh, he's really happy here. And he really believes what he's saying. And he talked to me as we were walking down the hallway. All the microphones are put away. He said, when Sache came on, there was really a change. There was a change in, a, in, in not only in like a go out there and it doesn't matter if it's not Windows first, but in a it's OK if this isn't the main thing that makes us money because we can find a way to make money. And they were willing to fire some people. He doesn't come right out and say it, but they were willing to fire some people to make this new reality possible. And so Joey's straight from college, and now he's running the PowerShell PM organization. So, you know, that's – and why? And the answer was – because he's a great fit for driving that change. You know, in the past, you would have seen a longtime Microsoft Windows guy in that position, um, and they're off doing something else. Hmm. Well, let's talk to Joey. Did you hear what he said there? 
in the past, you would have had a long-time yeah. Windows guy. Yeah, that's a – I don't even know what to say about that. That's that's like we need to fight. We, it is so imperative that we fight that we're willing to clean house and actually kill some of our own well, so that way we can well, stay well, competitive. Say that. What's wrong with that, Chris? Nothing. nothing. It's, 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 In my mind, nothing. It's, okay, amazing so you, that, it's amazing that this company was able to see that. It really right. – I mean – You know, as a small, I won't say startup because we don't have VC funding, but as like a small company, you know, every day is a fight, right? We have to fight to stay stay out of chapter one. One day can make all of the difference. Right. One day is everything. One employee, one bad hire, one good fire, right? Um, I, I think that that can only be – I mean, yes, I feel bad for the people who will lose their jobs or in, who clearly have at Microsoft, but – at the end of the day, it's all about the team, right? The team has to win. Yeah, and you've you you know we've heard a lot of we've heard a lot about layoffs at Microsoft, and you got to kind of wonder because uh, is some of that might have been more strategic, and it's really respectable because it's an it's a it's an acknowledgement that we have to be lean, mean. We have to respond to the new market, and and I'm I didn't expect this big bloated bureaucratic company like Microsoft, who I interviewed at and declined because it was such a bureaucratic process. Uh, I didn't expect them to understand this, but they they got the fear of GERD in them. They got they really did. And so they brought people on like Joey. I am Joey Aiello, and I'm the program manager for PowerShell Core. Joey came right out of college into Microsoft. He was a Linux guy, and the last place he thought he would ever work was Microsoft. So I joined the team uh, uh, almost four years ago, uh, straight out of straight out of college, and and uh, I'd spent a great deal of time in Linux and open source. Um, so I was, uh, you know, one of those people that got a, a Nopix Live CD. Uh, I think when I was in middle school, and from there it was just, uh, you know having as many distros as I could possibly install on my rig uh, as a, a Gen 2 fanboy for a while. So, um, you know, definitely like saw how open source worked, saw how the world in open source uh, viewed Microsoft uh, much of the time, the slash dot kind of community. Um, and, and so we wanted to make sure that that every aspect of, of going open source was done in a way that that would be as amenable as possible to those guys. And, and um you know, we knew we weren't going to make friends with everybody on day one. I certainly had no illusion that, uh, uh, you know, going open source, suddenly we were going to be greeted um, with with open arms uh, by the Linux community. Um, but but there were a few things we got right. Uh, and we looked at a lot of different uh, governance models. Um, I, I took a lot of inspiration from uh, Debian's model of governance, um, as well as uh, we, we got a great deal of, of help from Chef. Uh, we're, we're pretty close partners with them. And, and they gave us a, a bunch of tips around, um, you know, sort of how to do these uh, review for comment documents, make sure that our governance and, and process model is sort of understood uh, and well documented in the community. Um, we, we took a stance early on that we knew we wanted to have uh, community maintainers in the repository. And so uh, within a couple months of the project launching, we, we added a couple people uh, for, for the purposes of triage. I think there's a, a, a one or two folks now that have some commit rights um, and, and we're sort of slowly growing that as well. Um, but yeah, really, really just about sort of decoupling our roadmap and business model from from Windows or from Azure and really just saying, hey, we, we want to do everything we can to make PowerShell the best. And all of you are a part of that. And, and everything's out here on the table. We're going to speak in issues and speak on uh, on Slack uh, in the public. 
and and uh, really just you know sort of do it right from an OSS perspective. And uh, I'll have a story in Linux Unplugged this week about how when they when they went live on their GitHub repo. <laughs> okay. So they go live on their GitHub repo. They have a huge party. Everybody's patting themselves on the back. And then the first bug, the first like, hey, the issue get, that gets submitted <laughs> is from the curl developer. And uh, he's got a few complaints. <laughs> and he's got a, a bit of a problem. Yeah. So that comes up. I'll play that in Linux Unplugged. But I wanted to stay on task because we covered so many, so many different things in this interview. And I, I, I thought for this, for this audience – what about some of the practical aspects? So imagine you've got a team and they've been using Windows for their entire career or whatever, you know, you know, insert your, your platform here. And you've got to retask them to start creating a multi-platform system like PowerShell, which is a shell. <laughs> it's not like you're just you're moving an application. You're creating a shell for Linux and the Mac so you really got to get this right. So how do you get that team that it was Windows only working on cross-platform software? Like, how do you do that? And, and how do you get them to work with open source communities? Like, how do you do that? Yeah, so, I mean, part of the culture shift that, that you and Jeffrey discussed earlier um, was – uh, you know, taking a lot of people that had worked only in Windows for a number of years um, and sort of introducing them to an entirely different world of, of tooling and operating systems. Um, so at first, that was sort of ramping everybody up on Git and GitHub. Um, and really just, you know, we lived in, uh, you know, the Windows source control system for a very long time. Um, folks had, had never used GitHub, didn't know what a pull request was, you know, so that, that sort of thing had to be sort of introduced to the culture. Um, after that, there was a strong push within the team to self-host, uh, as you said, Linux and Mac. Um, so we've got uh, different developers using, um, you know, I, I, I ran CentOS on my box for a while. A bunch of folks run Ubuntu. Um, I think there's uh, uh, one person running Arch. Um, and then we also have one or two folks that have, have gone whole hog on, on Mac. We've got a guy that's MacBook Pro docked uh, all day as his daily driver. I don't think he's touched a Windows machine in months. Um, and then another guy that's actually got the, uh, the, uh, the Wastebasket Mac Pro. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, yeah, like we, we run the gamut. So, uh, it's, but really, yeah, using, using those as complete daily driver, trying to run all of our traditional modules and scripts. Uh, you can imagine how many scripts the PowerShell team has, uh, just for getting our jobs done. Um, and so to make sure that all of those are up and running well on, on Macs and on Linux machines, um, and that there's really no discrepancy, uh, you know, that we're not treating, treating Linux and Mac as sort of uh, second-class citizens. I know you, you even talked about in your podcast um, the other day, uh, the Visual Studio for Mac experience, right? And sort of how um, there's always that one thing that doesn't quite work how you want it to. Um, and we're still in that stage, but but the goal is definitely to drive towards uh, where there's there's really no differentiation between platforms. And you're talking about PowerShell version and not uh, uh, which operating system it's running on. That, so, um, I, what, what I took... So, so, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, no you... Can I just jump in here? Yeah. I've been talking a lot. Go ahead. You know, in, in general, I am much more friendly to Microsoft than you, right? Like, really. I, I, it is not Visual Studio if it doesn't run the same project templates that Visual Studio for yeah, Windows. Yeah, he runs. attributed that to me, but That's I think it was actually... I understand why he's saying what he's saying. But I agree. The fact that I can't run the C-sharp bot framework from on a Mac means it's not Visual Studio. It's something else, which is fine. It's a great IDE. 
It is not, you know what? ReSharper is not Visual Studio. IntelliJ is not Visual Studio. Xcode is not Visual Studio. Neither is Visual Studio for Mac. It is a, it should not be called Visual Studio. And if you want it to be Visual Studio, stop forward development and backport all the, yeah. not legacy, but the current templates and the current project wizards to Mac. Damn. And then it's Visual Studio. Damn. Damn. I'm sorry to hit that so hard, but. No, I agree. And, you know, the thing is, is uh, that. It's it's exactly 100%, no doubt about it, the attitude I went in with the conversation. And because it's like uh, it, it really it really affects the way you view everything they're doing. It, it just totally like you can't help but see like this is not as feature complete as it is on Windows. So you obviously are giving all of the priority to Windows first and then you're just sort of crapping out another version for these other platforms. Um but after talking to Joey and Jeffrey, what I got, what I kind of, what I kind of got from it a little bit was, what we're witnessing is phase one of a of a program to bring everything up to parity. And I asked him actually specifically. I said, "So was it just a matter of did you guys just click export and you just drop down the the Linux and the Mac version and say good enough? Here, go install this on Windows. Go put this on your VPS and uh, call it good." And they're like, "No, no, 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 no." It was a three year process, and we had to work out thousands of different little tiny bugs. As an example, so the promise of of .NET Core right is this: you can uh, essentially do do a recompile, right, um, and and uh, you know drive down the the types and dependencies, and you've got got yourself a, a cross platform application, right. Um, Unfortunately, with with something that's a shell, right, that that deeply integrates with with all aspects of the system, um, you need to make sure that you're respecting the the idiomatic norms of that system, right. So uh, while .NET has done its best to to mitigate those in the .NET layer, um, there were a number of changes that we had to make in the PowerShell layer in order to to achieve that. So, um, for instance, one of those was uh, our default encodings, right. So between all of our commands, we have commands that uh, create files or append files, set content, etc. Um, those uh, commandlets all used different default encodings, right? They've been developed over the years. Um, they've been relatively inconsistent in, in their development. Um, and we looked at those things and said, you know, some of these are doing UTF-16, some of these are doing ASCII. Uh, you know, let's let's look at all this holistically and make sure not that we just are consistent for Windows, um, but, but consistent for our Linux customers as well. Um, and, you know, in reevaluating that, it looks like Linux and, and Mac OS and the whole rest of the world has for a very long time accepted uh, UTF-8 uh, as the standard, and specifically UTF-8 without a byte order mark or a bomb, right? And so uh, we had to sort of say, all right, well, well, do we want PowerShell to be consistent or do we want to be consistent to the platform, right? And this is sort of a general problem that we've had to to tackle, Um and and where we ultimately landed on this particular one was was to say you know more and more of windows is starting to come over towards towards the linux side on this issue uh specifically vs code does a great job with utf8 no bomb we all love vs code uh you know the the console host there they've been doing a, a bunch of work around uh you know various uh renderings of of files and all the, the wsl work um that's been going on uh windows subsystem for linux bash on windows um, and, and so, you know, in there we decided to say, Hey, let's, let's lead the forefront on windows and let's, uh, you know, be one of these applications that respects, uh, the Linux norm. And so, to, so to that end, we, we changed the default in PowerShell core. This is one of the sort of breaking changes that we, we knew we'd had to, had to 
we knew we'd have to make future-proof PowerShell for, for, uh, for the cross-platform efforts. Future-proof PowerShell. Future-proof PowerShell. And, and they're doing that by making it more in line with the way that you do things on the Mac and the way you do things on Linux. And I think that makes sense. I mean, let me, you know, I was very negative before, but let me, does that not make sense to you? I mean, I. I... Yeah, but it's, it's not how Windows does it. You see, that's, I mean, it does make sense, but it's not how Windows does it. But in reality, right, the world we're looking towards in the future is that the dev platform you're working on doesn't matter. Yeah, okay. Okay, unless you're trying to write an iOS app. Unless you're what? You're signing an iOS app, yeah. Well, then it matters. But <laughs> even that is an artificial restriction, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this is great. I, um, I don't know. I, I don't have a lot negative to say. I mean, I'm a little, you know, some of the stuff is a little. See, I think you and I have a problem, Chris. We're very, you know, we've been doing this for a while now. So we have our bash scripts already written, right? We, you know, the, the idea of PowerShell cross platform maybe doesn't speak to us, but I'm willing to bet, you know, there's a 17 year old kid going into college right now. And I wouldn't be surprised if PowerShell's the, uh, yeah. the shell he learns. Yeah. Well, like, really, you or know, she learns, right? You know what I got, Mike? <laughs> yeah. I, I, Try to be politically correct. I know. Because, you know, they'll probably listen to this. But uh, I, I really – I kind of got the sense that they're going for ambient Microsoft. They're going for if you want to have Microsoft in the cloud, have at it. If you want to have Microsoft on the desktop, have at it. If you want to have a Microsoft app on your phone, have at it. And they are pivoting. They're going through a transition and we're sitting here watching this thing from the outside going, what the hell is Microsoft doing? <laughs> like what the hell are these guys doing? What are they doing? Because it doesn't make any sense right now. It's because they're going through a pivot. They can't say Windows isn't the future because they have about 995 billion people on Windows. So they can't say Windows isn't the future. But internally, they're looking at this and they're going, geez, this is a pile of code we can't even manage. We've had a whole bunch of new people come in. We have no idea what's going on. And we just want to be everywhere, wherever people want us. Wherever we can help people take advantage of their systems, that's where we want to be. We want to be like an ambient Microsoft. And I think there's probably one thing that's more defining that would make this more clear than anything else. This crazy ass up on GitHub currently taking pull requests from the community and issue requests from the community. This crazy-ass PowerShell thing is the future of PowerShell on all of Microsoft's platforms. It's not just like this side thing. It is the future of PowerShell. Uh, pretty much, yeah. I, I, we, we're firmly committed to continuing to support and service Windows PowerShell. Uh, it's it's a, a very stable platform that that probably likely millions of people still depend on. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're going to leave that as is, uh, make sure that, you know, we're fixing any, any, uh, uh, servicing issues or security issues that exist there. Um, and, and it's going to be in windows for, you know, air quotes, a very long time. Um, P- PowerShell core is essentially where all the innovation is happening. There you have it. PowerShell core is essentially where all the innovation is happening, which is corporate speak for that's where we're putting all of our future resources and development efforts. 
That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I, I almost feel like that's a great place to leave it. Yeah, it is. The, the, fu- the fundamental idea of an ambient Microsoft technology. Yeah. And, and I don't disagree. I mean, right now, because of various bitching about audio, we're doing the show on my uh, MacBook Pro. But I can't think of a machine that I have where there's my Galago, my MacBook, my Dell that was picked up by UPS today that didn't have some sort of Microsoft technology on it, right? Yeah, and, and they're just going to be wherever you want to be. It, it's just going to get deeper, I think. But yeah, yeah. All right, there you have it, Mr. Dominic. Uh, thank you very much. In the meantime, do you want to send anybody to any particular web outlets where they can find more about you or perhaps what you're working on? You know what? Forget me. I don't matter. Uh, if you want to do something, donate a uh, dollar to St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Jeez, you are a gentleman. I can't even. I can't even. I can't even with that. I can't even follow with that. That's that's good. That's deep. I appreciate that. In the meantime, I'll just say this. Why don't you go get more Coda Radio? Go check the back catalog. We're getting near 300 episodes. There's plenty for you to tune into. Also, you can get every single episode weekly. Go get one of our RSS feeds over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. And please send us your feedback, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and codaradio.reddit.com. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you to Jeffrey and Joey for entertaining me. I appreciate that very much. It was great to go down there. And we'll see you right back here next week.